Hello and welcome to the Coffee Gals podcast, brought to you by the team behind the Ottawa Coffee Fest. Bonjour et bienvenue au podcast Café, présenté par l'équipe derrière le Café Fest Ottawa. My name is Mel. Et mon nom est Jen. As some of you may know, our coffee festival that was scheduled for March 2020 had to unfortunately be postponed until further notice due to COVID-19. And like many other events, we are exploring different ways to stay engaged with our participants and to continue to share the love and knowledge within Ottawa's coffee community. Every few weeks, we'll be speaking with different people within the industry so you can get to know more about your favorite local roasters and coffee shops. Let's get started. Hello friends, welcome to the show. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sanremo Canada with a world-class coffee machines. Hi, I'm Eugenio, Eugene, the head of Sanremo Canada. Sanremo is the new name for high-end coffee machines, possessing technology that will make your specialty game and customer entertainment easy for anyone to do both in the same time. Sanremo sponsors also World Latte Art Competition and Coffee in Good Spirits. In Canada, we sponsor the Barista Championship. We believe in building community with the transparency in the way we do business. Sharing coffee knowledge is at the core of our company. We develop relationships around the events and on a cafe-to-cafe basis. Give us a call. Schedule a video demonstration of our machine. You can reach us at 1-855-292-2233 or visit our website at sanremocanada.com. Sanremo spelled S-A-N-R-E-M-O, Canada.com. Enjoy your podcast. Ciao, be safe, and wear a mask. Today's guest is Francis Buchert, owner and operator of Cloud Forest Coffee. Cloud Forest Coffee is a small-scale roaster based in Ottawa with their roastery located in Hull, Quebec. Their tasty organic and direct trade coffee is mainly sourced from the region of Intag in the province of Indambura, Ecuador. Hi, Francis. Thank you so much for meeting with us. Hello. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. I'm just having a cup of coffee here, warming up on a nice chilly morning. Of course. Yeah. Tell us about uh, your company name, Cloud Forest, and as well as your values, um, and where do you source your coffee? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, so first of all, for for our name, Cloud Forest. So this coffee comes from uh, high elevation. And this elevation is perfect for a type of tropical forest called a cloud forest. So this is an ecosystem that draws moisture from the clouds and is perpetually lush and green. And what's important about this cloud forest where we source our coffee from in Ecuador is that it's the last remaining coastal rainforest in Ecuador. So the region straddles two of the world's most important biological hotspots, the tropical Andes and the Tumbes Choco Magdalena hotspot. This is an extremely beautiful region. And uh, I lived there for a few months in 2011. And so this cloud forest paradise was where I found this coffee. And um, there's something about the coffee and, and the soil that it's grown in that offers it a very unique flavor which also probably has a lot to do with the fact that there's like seven volcanoes surrounding this region. So you have um, a very rich soil, very nitrogen rich soil, and uh, just comes through with a very interesting taste in coffee. But that is um, the story behind why it's called cloud forest coffee. 
um, is that that is the type of ecosystem in the region where it comes from. To go into a bit more detail there, the region where it's from is called Intag, which is a, like an interconnected series of mountain valleys in the province of Imbabura, as you mentioned. Uh, so the Intag is on the western slopes of the Andes going towards the Pacific Ocean. And so all throughout this valley, you have really, really steep, lush green mountainsides and uh, water coming from the mountains and crystal clear streams. And if you're at the right elevation, you can just drink right from the streams. Like there's a very um, pristine wow. area. And so, yeah, I was really struck by this region and wanted to um, wanted to be involved in a way and also to help the, the coffee cooperative there. Yeah, so um, how did you discover that area then of the Intag, like the, the valley in the Ecuadorian Andes? You mentioned on your website that there's a community who's been struggling with uh, mineral exploration for over 20 years. Um, so how did coffee crops start improving things for them and, and what's, what's the struggle there? So um, to answer the question first of how I found out about it, um, so I was doing a year abroad with my university program. Uh, I went to Trent University and they had a year in Ecuador program uh, that allowed you to get five credits towards your university um, career and, and spend a year in Ecuador and study international development and history and Spanish. Originally, I went to, the first time I went to Ecuador was in 2004 with my mom because she was volunteering in the jungle at a, at a hospital there. And I went along with her and I got to live in this jungle part of Ecuador in the Amazon for like, I think we were there for two months. The ecosystem there is so, so impressive and so like full of life. I just remember like finding those ants, there's the, the type of uh, ants where there's like a stream of them and they create a tunnel through the jungle and each ant is carrying its own leaf. And <laughs> there's just like little things like that that just make like the, the, the wildlife and the wilderness there is so fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. um, so having had that experience in 2004, I decided to go back to do a year of my university there. And as part of that, um, we had to go and live in a rural part of Ecuador and study community development. So I had heard about this community struggle against mining companies through my professor. And we, we were actually already drinking this coffee in class when I was, I was taking classes in university in Quito. And my professor loved this coffee. So she was giving us all this coffee before class. And I was like, this is the best coffee I've ever had. Like, what is this? And she's like, it comes from the Intag. It's a region, it's about like two hours away from Quito. So I was like, okay, I, I think I wanna go there. Like I, I wanna do my placement there. So that started this all off. And I spent three months in the community learning about coffee cultivation and volunteering with the coffee cooperative. Uh, we were doing like planting coffee seedlings. I spent time in the laboratory where they developed their like organic fertilizers. We got to learn about harvesting. And so I spent this time there and um, I was really struck by, you know, this, this community and the fact that they've started this organic coffee cooperative as an alternative to this mining project. I can go into a little bit more detail about the mining side of things uh, because in the 90s, a Japanese company called Mitsubishi Metals went into the region and did some speculation and they found that there was 
a large deposit of copper and silver and gold under this pristine cloud forest area. So they did their environmental impact research and they and they discovered that in order to mine this all of this copper and gold, most of these communities would have to be relocated. And you'd have substantial contamination of the water. Uh, you'd have a lot of erosion through the soil because one of the issues here is that it's so steep and um, mountainous. There's nowhere to store tailings ponds or anything. It's not like a flat landscape. There's no flat spaces there. So for these reasons, like the local community became very um, environmentalist without, they kind of jumped right to environmentalism from, from like this encounter with this company because they saw firsthand that as the, as the company started ex exploring for minerals, they saw that, you know, some of the livestock were getting sick from drinking from the rivers. They saw that people were getting rashes from swimming in the waters where before that had never happened. And so they became very, like a very environmentalist. And I, I don't want to paint a picture like everyone is unified. One of the things with when you have the arrival of like a mining company in a place like that is it, is it creates a lot of social division because uh, the company's promised, they're like, we're going to, you know, we're going to buy all of you a dirt bike. We're going to give everyone thousands of dollars. Like, and, and some people are convinced that it's worth it to undergo these environmental risks in exchange for the economic benefits. And um, I mean, far be it from me to want to decide the future of a community that's not my own. But there is a strong ecological movement there that wants to preserve the environment so for for the livelihoods of the farmers and so that people continue to live there like as they have lived for the previous you know hundreds of years so that was um initially what sparked it off was this japanese mining company in the 90s they actually got kicked out of there the company decided they didn't want the mining and then in in the 2000s a canadian mining company came uh, they were called ascendant copper and then they again made all the same mistakes the japanese mining company made they didn't consult properly with the local community they tried to just charge ahead with exploration and it led uh, to a confrontation which if you're interested you can watch on youtube a movie called under rich earth it's all about the struggle against the canadian mining company and the community was ultimately successful again they kicked out this canadian mining company and they said we don't we don't want your big mine here like we're, we're good but we've since entered into a third stage of the struggle and there's a large chilean mining company called codelco that is um attempting to to operate this mine uh but notably for the they've been there for the past four years and they still have not begun the operation they're still it's just it's a very it goes back to how mountain it is mountainous it is and how rural it is it's not an easy project to pull off that's a little bit about the social struggle. And basically we are sourcing coffee from their farmers cooperative in order to help show that there are sustainable alternatives to mining because they have huge potential for ecotourism. They have very rich soil for agriculture and they have excellent coffee. Um, so there's kind of two paths forward economically for this region. And uh, there's, a, there's still a bit of a struggle going on to, to see which way it's gonna go. I'm glad to hear that you know, people are still sourcing the more natural resources from from this place in 
in a sustainable way because it's a, it's such a I'm sure it's such an important part of that area. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think just the fact that it's one of the it's the last remaining coastal rainforest in Ecuador. So that alone, I think that you know, for just for humanity, should be preserved. But you know, it's it's not an easy situation because these are there are people living in poverty. So you could argue that the mining would lift them out, but then you could also argue that the mining corporation would reap most of the profits and the locals would get jobs for a few years and then and the mine would be gone and then their land is contaminated. So these are these are debates that I think should be had. And also part of my reason for wanting to start this project, Cloud Forest Coffee, was to spread awareness about um, the effect that Canadian mining companies have in the world. A, lo a lot of people don't know this, but um, Canada punches way above its weight when it comes to mining. Like something like 75% of the world's mining companies are listed on Canadian stock exchanges. So ma mainly in Bay Street, Toronto, and the Vancouver Stock Exchange. A lot of mining companies are listed on there because Canada has very loose regulations on mining companies. So it allows them to operate with impunity in developing countries. So this is kind of, a, I think, a hidden, darker aspect to Canada's impact globally. Uh, we like to paint ourselves as like the friendly, environmentalist, human rights caring country. And um, our policy when it comes to mining exploration in developing countries doesn't line up with that. So I think that's something that there should be more discourse about um, in our in our country. Yeah, it's really eye-opening to think of, well, what happens after they're done, their mining, and as you said, the contaminated areas and stuff like that, and how that could affect things for future generations. And to give you a bit of an idea of the scope, like the area that makes up Integ is 115,000 hectares of land. So that's roughly equivalent of two Prince Edward Islands. And so out of that, 95,000 hectares is at risk of being sold off to mining companies. And so there, there, there are right now, there's about 20,000 people living in that area who are farming and growing their own food. And they're growing food for the nearby cities. And they're growing this excellent coffee. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the mining, if it happens on the scale that it's being proposed, the farmers will, the farming will be devastated and the ecological value of the region will be compromised. So that would be a net loss, not just for the people living there, but really for the whole world, because those are unique ecosystems. And that's, you know, part of the story that we're trying to share with the world is that these areas are worth protecting. And we can also protect them by doing things like supporting the cooperatives that are already there. There's a cooperative selling organic coffee. There's a cooperative selling organic soap and shampoo. So that's something we're thinking about getting into as well. Uh, bring in this women's cooperatives products that make really excellent like shampoos and soaps with aloe vera and papaya and stuff grown there. Could, could be the next uh, step for Cloud Forest. We'll see. Yeah, the next uh, branding opportunity. <laughs> exactly, Cloud Forest soap. Um, so you would say, you know, you said 20,000 people live there. Would, are most of them, the large majority, work in agriculture then and, and, and do farming? Like, Yeah, all of them. Yeah. Except, like, I mean, you have some people who are growing crops and you have some people who are raising cattle. There's quite a bit of uh, cattle. I'm glad to, to know that we have a local roaster who's kind of helping to support that. 
yeah, no, it's it's uh, we feel, you know we feel lucky to be in a position where we can where we can help and where we can do this um, and where we can help share this coffee with the world and uh, also shall also share the story of um, of the communities behind it. Mm -hmm. That's very important. Can you describe the taste a little bit more of the coffee? Yeah, I can describe the the, the flavors of the coffee. Like I could tell you that. You know, for the medium roast, you have a kind of a caramelly, hazelnut, smooth cup of coffee. Like, what's really nice about it, and this is the feedback I get from people, it's not bitter, and it doesn't hurt your gut the way that some coffees do. So it's a very, it's a, it's a smooth, mellow coffee, really nice caramel um, and sweet, naturally sweet notes to the medium roast. And then the dark roast, it's a little more chocolatey, um, you get a little bit of the smokiness. It's not burnt like some dark roasts are. We don't pu push it that far. If you know a lot about coffee, we drop it like just after second crack, but while second crack is still happening. And so it's not charred, but there's also kind of, I've talked about this a lot in the specialty coffee community. For some reason, people get snobby about dark roast. They're like, no, dark roast is bad. Medium roast is good. And you're like, well, what if people like the flavor profile? that comes with a dark roast. Because with a dark roast, you have a further caramelization of the sugars inside the coffee bean. And it, it, it's a further transformation of the flavor. So you just got a whole different flavor profile. Um, so we think the dark roast is good too. People should try it, if, even if they uh, might have a tendency to not like dark roast. There's also a certain quality that I can't describe to the coffee. And it's just this very unique kind of zing and I, I can't put it better than that. But like um, when you get a freshly roasted cup of this coffee, it's got a special zing to it that is completely unique amongst any other coffee I've tried. You're just keeping it uh, a mystery for people. So yeah, you got to try it. There's, try words it can only do so much. So it is the same bean that you roast medium and dark roast, right? Exactly. Yeah, we okay. keep it really simple. Uh, we do at times offer limited roasts of other origins of coffee as well. There's an indigenous farmers cooperative in Guatemala that we periodically source some coffee from them as well. And also locally, we, uh, we source Burundian coffee from Izer, uh, from Deborah, who was on this podcast earlier. So um, we do sometimes showcase other origins of coffee. We're not limited to just one, but the, the Ecuadorian one is, our, that's our mission objective is to help that cooperative. So, we're always aiming to increase the amount of coffee we import from them every year so we mm -hmm. can uh, so we can help make a difference there as well okay so that's kind of your staple and then you'll kind of add on uh some some more beans that you think you it, how do you how do you select those extra beans like the the specialty ones that you bring it bring on well for me like we definitely are more of us we, we pay more attention to the social side of things and the story behind the coffee I, I, I wait for like a story that resonates with me. I mean, like you can look into this um, Guatemalan farmers cooperative. They, they do really interesting work in the highlands of Guatemala. I, I will drop their name later. Um, I've just got to check that out. But and then also the Burundian one, what, what Deborah is doing, she's, she's just so authentic. And like she's from there, her and her mom are sourcing the coffee and uh, they've met these communities. So whenever I feel like I have like a 
a coffee that it can trace to the source and the story behind it, it seems very authentic. And then on top of it, it's an excellent coffee. That's when I kind of green light it. Like that's, those are the components to look for. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a great way to, to do business. There's a lot of people that will try and sell you coffee once you're a coffee roaster, but mm -hmm. most of them are third party organizations that are brokers. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I would prefer to have a direct traceability to the source. Mm -hmm. um, so we're just gonna switch gears a little bit and ask about, um, you know, obviously the you know hot topic is uh, COVID and how businesses are, are what they're doing facing these difficult challenges. Um, so as a small scale roaster, how is Cloud4 is adapting to the circumstances of the, the pandemic right now? Um, are you still doing farmers markets and, and events in Ottawa? How is that all happening for you? Yeah. Um, well, it, it was certainly like we had to we had to go with the flow. We had to adapt. But right now we are still selling coffee through all of our local partners. You can find our coffee at Life of Pie, Black Squirrel Books, Herb and Spice Bank, Herb and Spice Wellington, Nature's Buzz in Beechwood, Manhattan's Cafe on Laurier, Rainbow Foods in the West End, Hinchinburg Market, and at Park Jail Market, as well as Beechwood Market. And most recently, you can now find our coffee at Messines Independent Grocer on Bank and Somerset. So those local partnerships we were really lucky to, I mean, have been forming over the previous, like, several years. Um, because that allowed us to still get our coffee to people despite the challenges of, of the pandemic. And we have resumed doing farmer's markets. We're back at Parkdale Market every Saturday. And people can also find our coffee at Beechwood Market, which is currently online. You got to order online and pick it up in Beechwood. And we'll also be, um, we're going to be at the One World Bazaar in Manatic. It's a very interesting event for anyone, for anyone who hasn't been there, but it's kind of like a big barn full of fair trade products from around the world. It goes every weekend from starting this weekend until uh, around mid-November. It goes Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every weekend. So if people want to check that out, it's called One World Bazaar, and we'll be there selling coffee as well. Did you did you um, kind of expand on that list of of, of uh, suppliers or of, of sellers um, since the pandemic started? Yeah, Messines, we got them on board uh, kind of in the middle of the pandemic. Pandemic, but it had been like we it had been in the works. I mean, I had already made contact before, but then like when we finally met in person with masks and everything, that was during the during the pandemic. We really want to focus on local. So it's nice that if like when chains can operate like that, where they feature local brands in, in their, wherever they're operating. And which makes a lot of sense. Especially right now, I think local as much as possible, or if not, then within Canada. That's a message I've been trying to share as well, that just like support your local businesses right now because they need it. And, um, you know, if you find yourself like you're hungry and you're like, I'm gonna go to Subway. Like, no, don't go to Subway. Go to like the one down the street that's just like a local mom and pop shop selling sandwiches. You know, like we have opportunities to like vote with our dollars and we can't complain about Jeff Bezos and, and, and the super rich if we're gonna continue to buy their products every day. So like we, we really do need to be supporting local in, in a big way. 
um, because it's, it's not an easy time for small businesses. We've been lucky because we don't have a cafe. We have a roastery um, in Gatineau, but I mean, all the storefronts with cafes, they, 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 they were hurting during the quarantine, I mean, not surprisingly. So it's a great time to support your local cafe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's my piece on that. <laughs> that's a great message. Thank you so much for for joining us. That's an incredible journey and, and uh, you know, a funny like circumstance of events that kind of, you know, came into what is now Cloud Forest, like going uh, with your mom the first time and then going again during university. I think it's fascinating. Uh, and uh, we hope that our listeners will appreciate your your story. So thank you so much, Francis. And yeah, we hope that everything goes well for you during the during this time, this, these uncertain times. And um, like like we said, continue buying local, uh, continue buying from Cloud Forest. They have amazing coffee. I will vouch for that personally. I've heard, I've tried it, it's really good. <laughs> nice, thanks so much for having me on and I'm looking forward to the next Ottawa Coffee Fest. Thank you so much for listening. Our podcast is available on our website at ottawacoffeefest.ca. Tell your friends and share the love. Je m'appelle Jen et nous sommes les cafés. My name is Mel and we're the Coffee Gals. Thank you and stay tuned for our next episode coming out in a few weeks. Until then, keep supporting your local roasters and coffee shops.